0: Hey super friends, my name is Neil and welcome to episode 53 of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. We're here fortnightly-ish, or in this case three weeks, to bring you a slice of film, TV and pop culture goodness from our studio direct to your speakers. I am joined, of course, by my very own boy wonder, Martin. Say hello Martin. Hello Martin. How are you today? The question that you just asked me, off microphone, not to ask you. I'm okay. Well, I shall ask no more. Thanks for bearing with us while we're away for three weeks. We are now back in sync after losing a week earlier in the month. Uh, But we're keeping it simple this episode, aren't we, Boy Wonder? We are indeed. So you can actually tell the listeners at home what we're talking about this episode.
1: Can I? Yeah. What we're talking about? Oh, the film. (laughs) The Society of Justice.
0: Justice Society World War II is the sole focus of this podcast because we are joined by a number of special guests. If you listen to our last podcast, you will know that I was very excited to tell you that I had sat down and done some interviews recently. So this episode, we are being joined by one of the co-writers of Justice Society World War II, Jeremy Adams, and we are also being joined by two of the film stars, Alicia Rotaru, who plays Black Canary, and Matt Bomer, who plays Barry Allen slash The Flash. So you will hear as we're talking about the film, we will swore over to my chats with with them and you'll get to hear about their experience of writing this film, recording this film, being in this film and alongside that we will give you our thoughts having watched it. So we're foregoing the news and we're just going to dive straight in with Justice Society World War II.
2: They've taken control of most of Europe and Russia. Merciful heaven, an invasion. That's not all, Mr. President. I take it that's where your big idea comes in. Let me introduce you to the team.
0: Let's rattle off the main cast for this film. So you have Matt Bomer as The Flash, Stan Akatik as Wonder Woman, Liam McIntyre as Aquaman, Matthew Mercer as Owlman, Chris Diamantopoulos as Steve Trevor, Jeffrey Arend as Charles halsted slash advisor, Alicia Rotaru as Black Canary, Omid Abtahi as Hawkman, Ashley Lothrop as Iris West, Darren DePaul as President Roosevelt, Keith Ferguson as Dr. Fate, and Armin Taylor as Jay Garrick, the Flash. Yes, there are two Flashes in this movie. The synopsis for this film is... Justice Society World War II finds modern-day Barry Allen, prior to the formation of the Justice League, discovering he can run faster than he ever imagined, and that milestone results in his first encounter with the Speed Force. The Flash is promptly launched into the midst of a raging battle, primarily between Nazis and a team of Golden Age DC superheroes known as the Justice Society of America. Led by Wonder Woman, the group includes Hourman, Black Canary, Hawkman, Steve Trevor and the Golden Age Flash, Jay Garrick. The Flash quickly volunteers to assist his fellow heroes in tipping the scales of war in their favour while the team tries to figure out how to send him home. But it won't be as easy as complications and emotions run deep in this time-skipping World War II thriller. Before we dive in, I just want to say that Justice Society World War II is available now on digital platforms as of today as you are listening to this and will be available on DVD and Blu-ray and special edition Blu-ray minifig edition with a statue of the Flash from May the 11th 2021. So from here on out there is a spoiler warning for this because we're going to be talking about some of the more intricate plot points and character moments from this film. Boy Wonder. First impressions on Justice Society World War II. Let's think about story first and we'll move on to characters after we've talked to jeremy adams
1: it was a good story
0: is that your full review
1: i mean i think so i mean it was it was good i liked it there was highs there was lows there was emotions there was drama there was action okay had it all tell me about the highs it was nice to see some of the lesser known characters on the animations
0: it was wasn't it there was a good little collection of characters and we'll come on to them in a minute uh i really enjoyed the story of this i felt like it was a pleasant surprise what this film was actually about given the synopsis which maybe teases it slightly but the trailer as well I think doesn't quite allude to the full story that you get to see when you sit down and watch the film. Agreed. I feel really weird about this film just because it's as we're recording this podcast it's not actually out yet it's it will be out tomorrow and yet i've seen it like four times because of having to prepare for interviews it feels really weird to have seen a film that many times before anybody else has actually seen it what were some of your favorite moments from justice society world war ii
1: so i think the main highlight for me would oh, be that you've
0: got your serious voice on
1: i do, I do. yeah oh, i've had my head till it as well because the microphone's that funny angle um Well, yeah, the main highlight for me would be that it starts off as a film that you think you know what's going to happen, but then it goes completely somewhere else.
0: I think I asked you if what was your highlight moments.
1: That was a highlight, though.
0: No? I meant, like, story points. What were points in the story that... that you particularly enjoyed?
1: I particularly enjoyed that point. The fact that I thought it was going to be, like, a... I don't know how much to say, really. I don't want
0: to give it away. No, true. I meant like key scenes. Were there any sort of key scenes that were that were real highlights for you in it? So you know, you've got like op- there was an opening and ending bookend with Barry Allen. So Matt Bomer's flash in the present day before he travelled back to the World War Two era. Then there's obviously quite a few key battles and a couple of cameos and things that happen in that period. There's some reveals, maybe some magical sides of the DC universe that crop up. So I'm just wondering if there were Any bits that really stand out to you as favourites from from that?
1: Um, Or if you're going to be that specific. I like the introduction of Doctor Fate. That was exciting.
0: It adds a very interesting element to the story, doesn't it? It does. Would you like to elaborate on that? I've given a spoiler warning, so it's okay.
1: Okay, so that's fine. So when I said at the beginning I was being all cryptic and about who I liked, how it wasn't going to take us down the story path that I thought it was going to take us down bet how it's the Flash, he's running fast, oh god, he's gone back in time, but actually he's jumped into a different universe, and then...
0: So they don't go into a huge amount of detail on that. We don't know what Earth he is on, and what, I presume it is still a time period of World War Two, But not our universe because things aren't quite the same. So that's that's an sort of interesting point that I think is left open ended in the film as to where what Earthy is. And they don't really hugely put a time sort of stamp on exactly when it is. I don't think it has been a little while since I've watched it. I think favourite moments to me, I love the opening and the ending. The present day stuff is really, really cool. I'm I'm definitely not gonna talk more about that here because it sets up some really cool stuff for the future of the DC animated movies. I think of the stuff that happens in the World War Two era, I would agree with you. I think the Doctor Fate scene is very, very cool and certainly sets up some really interesting stuff that could happen with the with the animated movies in the future. I also really enjoyed some of the, the, the levity in the relationship between Diana and Steve because it can be quite a dark film at times, but there were some interesting points between them, particularly with him... Uh, constantly proposing to her at least sort of once every single day, and their their romantic relationship is set up really interestingly, particularly given that she is the leader of the group, yet he is the sort of alpha male archetype. And we're we're showing a period of time where women wouldn't necessarily have been in that that kind of role. There's a there's a gender flip in terms of the the power between the two of those characters. You know what I mean? Hmm. I don't. Yeah, I definitely don't want to say too much because I really don't want to spoil it massively Um, because there is so much to discover in this film. So why don't we hear from one of the co-writers of the film, Jeremy Adams? Jeremy co-wrote the film with Megan Fitzmartin. The two of them uh, worked together on Supernatural. They were working on the final season of Supernatural, and their offices were next door to each other whilst they were working back and forth on, on this film so i got to speak to jeremy and talk to him about how this story came about and uh what some of his favorite moments were and some of his favorite characters to write for so have a little listen to my chat with him well thank you very much for taking the time to speak to with me today how are you how are you doing
2: i'm doing well although i, I had an old man moment today where i slipped on some stairs and uh, fell completely backwards oh, uh, no. I was like oh, I, i'm so lame uh it's one of those things that shouldn't happen but i'm doing well i'm excited for everybody to see this movie you know
0: oh i so i watched this last night and i'm still picking my drawer up off the floor i actually uh, I have to say i watched it this morning again as well so i have seen it twice um i loved it it's so good so, it's so so
2: good. good butch who is the supervising producer you know obviously with his uh Otto schmidt uh you know yeah. caricatures and stuff i feel like they've elevated just the design elements and the animation elements I mean it's beautiful uh I feel like it's sweeping it's it's really great I think there's enough twists and turns too that will make people go whoa you know oh
0: my there are yeah I mean from watching the trailer to watching the film I, I I felt like I knew what I was getting into and I I really didn't and it was it was in all the best ways all the best ways oh good well, Good. let's let's go kind of back to the beginning. Tell me a bit about developing the yeah. the story for Justice Society World War Two.
2: So Jim had give me a call. Um, uh, Jim Krieg, who's one of our producers, uh, they had kind of an idea for the the basic premise of the World War Two story. Um, and not to spoil anything, but the the trailer do show you with the Flash and where, oh, always the Flash in the past and. And so it came to me and Megan, who I co-wrote this with, yep. um, and Megan and I got together with Jim. We kind of kicked around some ideas, and then we, we kind of broke the story and went back to him and Butch, and they just seemed thrilled with it. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the basic start of it all. It was really it was really helpful because Megan and I were both working on Supernatural and our offices were basically just across the street. Oh, amazing. So it was an easy, easy way to go like, oh, let's talk. And then let's go over there and, and talk more about uh, JSA. And for me, I'm a big JSA fan. I love those characters. I'm glad that Warner Brothers Animation is, is, I don't know, it just feels like the last few years we've been able to stretch our our legs a little bit into different arenas, not just with, you know, JSA, which is not a Batman-centric thing, but even with the Batman movie I just did, which is not necessarily a Batman-centric thing. (laughs) So (laughs) so, uh, I I feel very fortunate that we we got to get together and, and put this together, and then obviously... As animation screenwriters, I always feel like our job is really just to build a foundation for these other amazing craftsmen to build a giant palatial home. Because you you pass off the script, and then suddenly these amazing storyboard guys and the director and the voice actors, uh, you know, they, they just they come up with something amazing. And then a year and a half later, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is like his best Christmas present ever. <laughs> you know, it's like a weird stock that you buy it's like bitcoin you're like hey i bought it at this point and now look it's worth whatever this is uh getting to see it for us was one of those things too because i'm you don't know you don't know when you write it you hope it's going to be great you hope it's going to be put together but i didn't realize it was going to be as beautiful as it was and um it just really knocked my socks off too
0: i was going to say that too. i was going to say what was it you know what's it like as a writer when you get to you know months or however it is down the line and then you get to see yeah. what the final product looks like that i can't imagine what that feeling must be like to see it realized on screen like that
2: it's really weird because oftentimes what happens is you i, I don't know for self-preservation in some ways you have to kind of let it go um, there's been a couple projects that you know i've done where they it never got done you know but with this particular project i knew it was going to get done and you kind of forget like i do because i'm doing other stuff i kind of Push it out of my head a little bit, because otherwise you're just going to be—if you're a fanboy like me—you're just going to be waiting around, like, "Oh, when <laughs> is it going to come out?" and uh, bug, bugging people. But but it's much funner to just kind of forget about it for a little bit, and then suddenly you'll get like an email from like Gary or Jim, and it's like, "You got to see this," <laughs> and it's like a clip, and you're just like, "Oh my goodness!" and and then what's crazy is. It's just that other dimensions of stuff. Animation is such a collaborative art form, and it's so much fun. And for me, like, uh, there's a moment with uh, Black Canary that I am just like, oh, this is like deep. Like this, you know. I wrote it, and it still feels <laughs> emotional, you know. <laughs> and uh, I, I love all that stuff. But as a writer, it's, it it is like the best birthday present ever. Like you know it's coming, and you you put it. Uh, you hope you know somebody saw your wish list and then and then it's even better than what you hoped for and that's all you could ever ask for as a writer
0: that's that's amazing to hear you just kind of touched on it slightly there uh with kind of the black canary moment because i think i know what you're talking about but well, um there are some really yeah. wonderfully complex relationships between the characters in this film was so was it really important to yeah. you to break up that i mean the action is huge and it's amazing but was it important to break that up with some yeah. of the more emotional character beats
2: yeah, I mean, uh, not only, I mean, first of all, Megan is, she loves this. She's like, hey, I want to put people in emotional pain. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I, I, I tend to agree, but probably not to the
0: extent.
2: <laughs> so it was a really uh, push, push and pull between, I think, the both of us and Butch and Jim. And it's like, how can you twist that knife a little more, but how can it mean a lot? Um, you know, I'm a sap. I have two speeds, which is like teeny bopper romance and 80s action, So I think that added (laughs) to the overall um, uh, movie a little bit. Uh, The the emotional quality, you know, Jim Krieg is really good at this. It's like, what's the heart of the story? Why should I care as as a person watching this? And I think that's so important. If you watch Die Hard and it's just about terrorists taking over a building, it's going to be a pretty good movie. But is it going to be as resonant if you didn't know that him and his wife were split up and, you know, it, it's like you have to have the heart, you have to have the emotion of why we should care about these characters. And we see that with Steve Trevor and his love of Wonder Woman and that kind of, you know, back and forth about the fragility of humanity, but also the nobility of humanity um, and some other characters, uh, you know, obviously Black Canary and, and Hawkman, who kind of knows he's going to end up seeing his true love. Uh, but kind of coaching her almost in a Big Brother way, uh, you know, that's like, unless uh, Big Brother way, except that uh, a lot of people are starting to ship them, you know, it's like, coach her about like, hey, you can't just, you know, wait for tomorrow, because tomorrow may not come, you know, and I think that's such a huge message in the in the movie itself.
0: I was really interested by i suppose this is part of the whole sort of multiverse idea but you kind of get to play with how these characters are represented as well so i was really interested in what led you to including aquaman being in a slightly more sort of antagonistic role for this story
2: yeah um you know part of that is just some of the twists and turns we want to set up because it goes against expectation obviously um and i think within the context of this movie he is antagonistic, but it's not necessarily he's in his right mind. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it kind of gives us a little bit of leeway there. But it, it, it also comes as the process, right? Uh, it's, it's a twist that um, hopefully the audience doesn't see coming because it's Aquaman. And yeah, absolutely. You know, of, of course he's good, you know, and uh, that 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 seems to be a lot of what we did in that movie. It's like, OK, what's the expectation? And then how do we twist it? How do we go? Hey, uh barry allen's in the past is he you know and then like how do we twist that how do we twist this how do we twist that um i think those are just ways of trying to keep you intrigued and because it's loosely based on certain ideas out there in the dc universe yeah. but it's a wholly new story which is so much fun to be able to put our own little spin on it and our own little footprint so that people that are watching it don't, it's, a, it's the it's the catch-22 of hey, that's not how they did it in the comics. It's like, <laughs> luckily, this isn't, this isn't that. You know, this isn't an adaptation of something. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's like jazz. It's like you know, variations on a note. <laughs> so uh, I think it allows audiences, even if you're a very deep nerd like me or not, to just engage with it on a level playing field and be like, oh, this is just the story they're telling.
0: Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I I love going into the the kind of the original story projects like this just because I know as a fan yeah. I'm going to be on the edge of my seat waiting for something that I have absolutely no idea what it is that's, right. that's going to happen. And that right. that's right. what this film gave me. So on so many so many occasions right through the oh, film good. where it was just like, okay, did not expect that. Didn't expect that. Didn't expect <laughs> that person to show up. So it yeah, you you did an absolutely brilliant job with it.
2: Well, thank you. I mean, we those are my favorite things to get involved with, too. That's like Batman: Soul of the Dragons like that as well, where yeah. it's just like, this isn't based on anything. So you can't hold me to a standard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can, but, you know.
1: What a lovely chap. He certainly is. And just for anybody that's confused in Scotland, a chap is a knock at the door.
0: <laughs> well, I meant chap is in like gentleman.
1: Oh, I said chap at the door, didn't I? So I knock at the door. Yeah. I yes. see a chap
0: Thank you for that cultural insight. Okay, Okay, so before we uh, move on to the interviews with Alicia and Matt, let's just talk a bit about the characters of this film. So core group of heroes you've got here. You've got Wonder Woman, Jay Garrick Flash, Barry Allen Flash, Hawkman, Arrowman, and uh, Black Canary. I don't think I missed anyone. Steve Trevor, obviously, who's also there. I guess you could class him as a hero as he's part of the team. Who were your favourites?
1: I think definitely Bazaar. Bazar allen Bazar allen um, and I quite you know I think them all to be honest with you it was nice to see characters that we know really well but portrayed in a slightly different way where they're a bit more war torn and gritty
0: yeah, it's interesting to go backwards in time in the d c universe as it were and see the the beginnings of a superhero team from a from a slightly different angle i mean there is part of the, the kind of Easter egg trail that leads you to the realisation that we're in a, in another Earth is the fact that Barry is completely unaware of the Justice Society they're not a team that he's aware of and that kind of leads to maybe Canary more than others but Canary and Hawkman to question some of their own place in the world and their place in history which I think leads to a really interesting relationship between the two of them he's obviously got uh, Chiara who's not seen in the film but is is part of his history but they're still, it's it's sort of, the relationship teeters on slightly brother-sister, slightly romantic at the same time between the two of them, that like there's a bit of a spark between them, um, which is quite interesting to watch.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because they're sort of, they're a team because they need to be a team because of the war, but not because they're a team of heroes like they would be in the Justice League.
0: Yeah, it's a bit more of uh, kind of just, we have to work together to get the job done, which I guess is still an aspect of the Justice League, but... After, this is almost like that first big mission that would bring the Justice League together. That kind of, we have to work together, and in the future we will choose to work together. There's sort of less of a choice here, isn't there?
1: Yeah, there's less of a sort of um, intergalactic fall than uh, a war against humanity, really. Yeah. What do you think about this version of Wonder Woman? Mm, I think it's a very good, It's very harsh Wonder Woman.
0: It is. It's a It's a very, well, it's a bit like you said a moment ago, It's. it's a war-torn Wonder Woman. There's not a lot of hope there, but there's still a lot of empathy there. It's almost like
1: she's ready to turn her back on humanity for 100 years. <laughs> a
0: hundred years. Great introduction scene for her. Well, actually, so you do see her earlier in the film, but when the flash arrives in world war two, great introduction scene for her, that fight scene that was released as a clip early on, uh, where she just comes charging through like a, a wall or kind of drops into the scene and just takes out a group of Nazis like they're absolutely nothing is it's a brilliant example of the strength of the character. I guess it does have quite a bit in common with Zack Snyder's version of the character just because of the sword and shield and that kind of war stance version of her. I think Stanna Katick has a really great voice for that part as well. She so the part of the trick here is that Matt Bomer has previously played Superman, where he's now the Flash, and when he played Superman, Stana Kattuck, who voices Wonder Woman here, was his lowest lane. So the two of them have kind of been partnered in a DC film before uh, and their voices work together really well but I think she has a great strength in her voice that works really well for that character. What do you think of this version of Canary? I almost went into my interview with Alicia thinking Canary's a character that people are still coming to know but then I went through it in my head and I thought well actually you've just had her in a movie you've got several versions of her in the Arrowverse She's been in this, she's been in quite a few different animated series and films, so she is quite... She's probably a bigger character than I think of her as now. But what do you think of this version? I really
1: liked it. Again, it's that sort of... Remnants of what she should be, but just a bit more war-torn and... Nazi-fatigued.
0: I think she feels like maybe the most different to me, just because they bring her in as someone who is almost thought of as a criminal before being recruited into the group and is recruited because of her canary cry and is the one who kind of has aspects of all of the other characters brought together she's almost she almost feels a little bit like the glue that brings everyone together because I think she has more interactions with the different members of the, the I was going to call it the Justice League then I should have said the JSA shouldn't I it feels like she has more interactions with the JSA members individually than maybe some of the other characters do
1: hmm. so she is the one that's pulling them all together she's that common thread
0: yeah. Maybe we'll come back to her in a moment. Let's focus on uh, Barry Allen for a second. What do you think of Boma, who, okay, we've heard as Superman in the past, we regularly hear as Larry in Doom Patrol. Uh, what do you think of him as as a Flash? What do you think of his Flash voice?
1: I thought it was really good. He's very Flash-esque. But, I mean, he's pretty good in everything he does, really.
0: He is, but I think he really captured Barry Allen quite well. I think one thing that is often not picked up on with grant gustin's performance in comparison to like a comic book version of the flash is i think grant does a really good job of barry's enthusiasm i think that sometimes gets a little bit lost in the lovey-doveyness of the flash cw show which i mean iris is at the beginning and the end of this film but there isn't a huge amount of time for for the relationship to be built up between the two of them we just understand that we're being plopped into the story when they've been together for a while but i think that Um, what Boma does is really capture that enthusiasm and put it into a slightly more straight-up version from the comics of Barry Allen.
1: That makes sense. That's what I was going to (laughs) say.
0: That's what you were thinking. Yeah. yeah. Well, you get that slight romantic tension between them. So there, he's taken her to Metropolis on a date and it's him promising that he'll take some time away from being the Flash and spend some time with her and then a rather A-list villain from uh, the world of a hero who lives in Metropolis appears and splits them up for a for, not as in relationship wise, but separately in the scene for a while. And he doesn't re- return to her until the end, by which time he's learned quite a meaningful lesson about family and how that works and and what his relationship should be like. So I felt like there was a, even though she was only in it in a very for a very brief period, it's. It is quite impactful.
1: Mm, mm. I was thinking exactly the same thing.
0: No, I think you've switched off.
1: No, no. What I was actually thinking, was God, he was away for so long, but in her mind, he was only gone for a split second. He must have been knackered. <laughs> oh, well, true. Yep. I mean, you never see him going for a wee flash
0: nap, do you? No, you don't. A flash nap. Yeah. But there is, there was a huge emotional arc for his character, which I think is testament to some really strong writing in this film because he does learn a huge lesson and that lesson is really well when you when you go back and watch it for say a second or a third watch you realize what he doesn't know at the beginning and it's really clearly communicated at the end through his interactions with iris and with a another character that he has learned and that actually it places him really centrally for this version of the dc animated universe moving forward
1: hmm It does, actually. I've never thought about that, because what the lesson he learns is going to have a massive ramification on this new Hmm. animated universe.
0: It does. And one other thing that actually I just want to touch on before we go to the Bomer interview is, I think, and this is just me sort of trying to read between the lines and guess a little bit. But if you go back to last year to Superman, Man of Tomorrow, that was a Superman almost in his first mission. I mean, you saw him in a, a like a proto-Superman suit before he had the super suit. You saw the origin. Whereas this version of the Flash, if the two of them are ever to share a scene in the future or a Justice League title, I feel like this Flash may not necessarily be too much older, but has been a hero for considerably longer. Mm. Okay, he doesn't have a grasp on the Speed Force, but clearly... He's been the Flash long enough that Iris is aware of that fact and that it has potentially had issues on their relationship, but that there is a grasp on who he is and his identity as a hero. So that's potentially interesting to see a Justice League where the Flash is one of the more seasoned members, especially compared to somebody as powerful as, say, Superman, or to someone like Batman, who will be meeting next in the long Halloween. I'm
1: excited to see how Batman present and all of us.
0: Yes, absolutely. Me too. It's interesting, and I'm glad that they've left him till next So we've now kind of seen a Superman in his film, we've seen a Flash here, a potential Wonder Woman, I don't know. She, as this seems to be a different Earth that uh, the JSA is on, it might not be what our Wonder Woman ends up being like, but it it gives him an impression of what Wonder Woman is going to be like, it gives us an idea of what she could be like. To then move into a Batman not as our kind of number one pick here is interesting. But I guess let's, let's go and chat to Matt Bowmanow about his role as Barry Allen the Flash. So, Justice Society, uh, tell me about your version of The Flash and where we find him in this film.
3: So, when we meet Barry in this film, he is scattered mentally, physically. He's trying to be everything to everyone and do a hundred different things at the same time. Uh, and it's really affecting the relationships in his life, particularly his relationship with Iris. And he's thrust into these really extraordinary circumstances where he encounters the Justice Society. And it's only really by his interactions with them and his um, his watching the relationships between the group and particularly between uh, Wonder Woman and Steve um, that he's able to really value the present moment in his life and uh and uh be available and present to the people who he loves the most
0: what was it about the the, i guess the story of this or the pitch for this film that made you want to join the cast
3: well i mean obviously you're dealing with really iconic characters yeah um this is someone this is a character who i've known and and Loved as long as I can remember, and it was a character who was really a big hit with um, one of our kids in particular at our home. Oh, so um, yes, many many Halloween costumes, many <laughs> years. Um, and you know, sure, you you understand why certain characters are so iconic for certain people because now he's an athlete, and he loves running fast, and all those things. So I don't know, maybe it's a bit on the nose, but I understand what his fascination with the Flash. Um, so I, it starts with that, and, and just having had such a great experience doing voiceover work with Warner Brothers and, and DC in the past, and then I read the script, and I thought the story was really engaging and unique and, and ultimately very moving. Um, so, and I thought the character had a great arc, and I thought he had a great sense of humor and really unique rhythms. So all, all these were things that I thought would make this um, unique from some of the other roles I'd voiced in the past.
0: It really is a brilliant arc for him as well. There's such a, like a well-defined beginning point to where you then find him at the, the end of the film. What's it like trying to bring that kind of arc to life when you're in a recording booth as opposed to when you're doing something, say, in live action and you're on set with, with other actors?
3: Well, you really only have your voice, you know, and and the registers and cadences and rhythms that make that character unique. But I I think we all owe so much to Wes Gleason and Butch Lukic, who were with all of us because we're we're never really in the same room at the same time. So they really did a great job getting everyone in the same film. And that's probably doubly hard on a job like this, which involves a different time period where people spoke differently. Yeah. There are different dialects. So, um, yeah, you're you're really um, relying heavily on that collaboration. And I remember um, distinctly at the initial phases of recording, you're kind of really discovering the rhythms of the character um, together. And then you get into a, a zone. You go, oh, okay, this is the guy they want. This is what they want. And you kind of settle into that and go for that.
0: And you i mean there are so many great action scenes in this, and you get some real you i mean you have some real fun in this film. How is it recording those yeah. moments?
3: Well, I love Barry's sense of humor i mean that was one of the things that was most intriguing to me about the role um i think it it bolsters him and through very difficult experiences and um he also has this great uh sense of fortitude uh but the action sequences are always one of my favorite experiences in, in doing these films they're Fortunately, they save them typically until the end of a recording session, so you don't lose your voice.
0: But <laughs> Good idea.
3: I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people who goes all out and I'm, I'm swinging, I'm kicking, I'm <laughs> getting punched. I'm, I'm you know I'm, I'm punching and I leave just you know panting and exhausted and, and sweating because um, I don't know how to fake it <laughs> otherwise. Um, so it's always you have to sort of just. Let go of any sense of self-consciousness and just be willing to look like a complete idiot to, <laughs> to get the vocal performance across
0: i think we need to see that in a gag reel i, I just i think it could be hilarious to oh watch. my god
3: if that exi- i mean honestly talk about extortion if that exists anywhere i would <laughs> really not want that to be out in the world <laughs> remember that video of the kid that sweet kid who who was doing like the Jedi lightsaber by himself? Oh yeah. He went viral for a while. They would probably <laughs> be like my version of that. Which I think we can all relate to, you know. We've Definitely. all been that kid at some point.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Have you got a favorite moment or a favorite line? I obviously don't want to spoil the story for anybody, but um any kind of favorite moments for for you from this film?
3: I really liked um and you know uh, some things you throw out there and then they don't make it into the film. But I, I really like trying to bring his sense of humor as a as a coping mechanism.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, <laughs> for himself. And and there were there were really fun things that we recorded, um, particularly in that first um, introduction to uh, Wonder Woman and that you know they don't they don't really get on very well uh, upon first meeting. So um, that was really fun, particularly when you're not in the same room with the other person so uh that was fun and just his sense of humor in general was a fun uh, new aspect to get to play and um yeah I would say that was probably my I don't know if I have a single line that's my favorite (laughs) um but uh I would say the moments where his sense of humor comes through were were the most fun to record
0: I think they're some of my favorite moments from watching the film back as well. It's a, it's a great version of Barry. And I I hope we get to see more of him in the future.
3: I hope so too. It was a lot of fun to get to do. And, um, you know, you give it the same work you give any role. I think people think that, you know, doing voiceover work is just getting to show up in your sweatpants. (laughs) You just kind of say a few things and leave, but it's quite the opposite. You have to give it all the same work you give, and respect, you give any text, but at the same time, you don't have any behavior or physical mannerisms to convey the story. You have to do it all with your
0: voice. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned, obviously, that you've done other voiceover work with Warner Brothers and DC, and obviously, of course, you play Larry in Doom Patrol as well. What is it about the characters of DC that keeps you kind of coming back?
3: Uh, honestly, they're so different. Uh, and, and there's... Um, maybe less so with Superman, but I, I do feel like Superman has this great they all have these great contradictions, uh, whether it's Superman um, being someone who has to feel feels like he has to hide his identity but then his identity ultimately being uh, his greatest gift, or it's someone uh, like Barry who has who wants to be so many who has the ability to be in all these different places but can't be and the one place he's needed unless he, you know, and when we find him in this film yeah, or, uh, or someone like Larry, who, you know, was this sort of golden boy hero who, who became this guy who resented his ultimate gifts until he was able to form a relationship with them. So they're all really rich and nuanced. I mean, if you take, if you took the superhero aspect out of it, I, I would still want to play these roles. I think they're, um, I think often it can be a bit more dismissive about these roles, but some of them are are the more better roles that I've gotten to portray. (laughs) um, Because there's so much thought and care and love is put into them. So um, I love working in the medium.
0: It's great. I think the The
3: circumstances also that you're dealing with are also just huge. Yes. If you look at what, what Barry is dealing with in this film, I can't, it's almost unimaginable to to have to find a way to not only cope, but also to thrive and just kind of jump into this world he's thrust into.
0: Yeah, I agree. It, on, on the face of it, it, it's, it seems like something sort of typical of Barry, but actually when you think about the weight of the situation that he's in and what he's facing, it is, it's, it's huge.
3: Yeah, it's, it's, that's, I think that's one of the things that makes these jobs fun is that the, it's not a traditional kitchen sink circumstance. You're dealing with some really extraordinary circumstances.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. Okay, that's, uh, that's all my questions. So thank you so much again for taking the time to speak with me today. It's been great.
3: Neil, what a pleasure.
0: Thanks very much. He really was lovely to talk to. It's very weird because it's a telephone interview, so I don't get to see him. So it's not like it's kind of like I've met him, but also not like I've met him at the same time. And that voice is just so distinct that the minute I was on the phone, it's like, oh my God, I'm talking to Larry. I'm talking to Flash. I'm talking to Matt Bomer. I'm talking to the guy from Chuck. I'm trying to think of everything else I've ever seen him in. It's American just Horror Story. American Horror Story. It's just so distinctly him. But he was really nice to chat to so that kind of leads us into our third and final interview for this podcast which is with alicia retaru who plays black canary we just talked about her character a little bit anything else you want to say about her just before we jump into hearing her talk about it no i just
1: thought it was a very good representation of canary Um it's a nice representation because like you said we've had so many iterations of the character recently and it's she was still able to keep it fresh and bring something new to the plate
0: yeah, it was really interesting listening to her, which you'll get to hear in just a second, listeners, but it was really interesting listening to her talk about um, how they recorded it and her kind of way of coming at this type of character and this type of role. Because one of the questions that I, I wanted to try and make sure that I'd asked to to both of the voice actors was when you're so used to working on a set with a scene partner, what's it then like trying to carry off a romantic scene or a really emotional character scene when you're alone in a recording booth but conversely to that you've also got huge fight sequences in this film of which there are plenty and how fun or not fun is it to try and replicate that when you're in a recording booth and uh she her you'll hear it just now but what she has to say about how she physically acts in a recording booth whilst recording is uh is quite funny so uh let's let's listen to alicia retaru so how you doing today thanks for talking to me
4: i'm so good how are you yeah i'm it's i'm really pleasure. good thank you
0: of congratulations on this movie i've watched it a couple of times already and it is it's such a blast i really enjoyed this film
4: ah oh, thank you it was
0: fun tell me a bit about your version of black canary and where we kind of uh find her at the beginning of this story
4: Um, I mean, my personal vision of her was just like, okay, we know she's blonde. I've always wanted to be a blonde for a minute, (laughs) so that was great. Check that off the box. Um, And then going into the world that we were playing in, it was, I love her entrance. Like, when I read the script, it was just kind of bombastic, the way she appears alongside Wonder Woman there. Yeah. And it's, you know, a lot of it is, I, I can't say too much because you can start to learn about her a little bit more throughout the process. Um, of watching the film and seeing her relationship, you know, with another um, fellow GSA member. <laughs> so it's it, it was nice to see her growth and just bring that to life and have the freedom to do so under the guidance of Wes and Butch um, when we recorded. So that was, I was almost like kind of taken aback by that because I, I don't really know much about that character anyway you know what I mean it's never been a character that yes I was on Arrow for a season but like we even didn't even I don't know I didn't really touch base with the Black Canary character that much in the backstory so it was kind of nice to just see her come to life in this movie the way she did so that was exciting for me on the performance level because I was like oh it's
0: I'm Do actually it. in the middle of rewatching Arrow at the moment. I am I am bang in the middle of your season as well, so it's it's strange timing. Oh no way. Yeah, yeah. You're kind of turning hey. up everywhere for me I at love the moment. That. So how did <laughs> you um how did you get involved with this film?
4: Um, it was it, it just came through the through the normal like pipelines of the daily work of an actor, you know, like the agency yeah. sent me an audition, I laid it down, um kinda didn't think twice because you know, you can't really live <laughs> live like that. Well, personally, I can't live <laughs> like that. But um, And then, you know, the offer came through and I was just like, what? Like, is this for real? So it was just kind of one of those moments where you're like, okay, cool. Like the work has been set and, you know, you've done it. And now you let the upper echelon decide. So, and then you go and record. And it was just, yeah, it was, for me, it was like a big pinch me moment only because of, where I'm from, Um, like I'm Canadian originally, and being able to work on something of this caliber with the caliber of people involved, um, like I'm still in awe, Uh like I thought probably why I'm stuttering right now and like sound like a total loser, but (laughs) like, oh my God, like it's, it's totally, it's, yeah, it's kind of a YOLO moment for me for sure.
0: That's really nice. That's really nice to hear. It's Thanks. it's so nice when you when you get to talk to an actor that you know really actually wants to be involved with the project and loves the piece of work that they're <laughs> doing.
4: It's sad when they don't, though, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> You're like, <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. It, yeah, I'm. If I, you could see me, you'd, you'd be like, wow, this girl's a total total nerd. Like, I'm just smiling because it's just so. It's just so cool, you know what I mean. And this whole process has been so lovely. Now I'm smiling, just listening to you talk about it as well. People, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Where's your? I'm like, where's the Zoom channel? <laughs> but yeah, it's. Oh. Uh, what was? Yeah. Um, what was your and,
0: process yeah. like for finding that voice for Black Canary as well?
4: It was interesting because when we were in the studio, you know, you can do research and read up and like try and mimic or try and get inspiration which I did do, and I, you know, I looked at my past voiceover artists who voiced Black Canary, like Tara Strong is one of them who I adore and, you know, have met very briefly at a a party, but, like, never worked with yet, so using those people as inspiration was kind of lovely, but then getting in front of the mic with what was just, you know, you almost, you didn't throw anything out of the window completely, but you just needed to let it flow and be guided, so I know that when we first started finding it, it was like, okay, you know, we love your sound like the way you sound. We want to keep her a little bit more um, edgier sounding as you could probably tell in the, in the film, yeah. she has a different tone uh, compared to the, uh, the other characters. Um, she's one of the younger ones. So it was like, okay, let's keep her edgy. Let's keep the chip on the shoulder. <laughs> uh, let's give her, you know, that vibe Um and and keep her grounded for sure and then just have fun with it cuz like you know when we got to all the canary screams like that's where we just you know blew it up in the studio and like <laughs> stepped off the mic and just let her rip so <laughs> it was just kind of fun to navigate that with the guys like on the other side of the glass and just yeah i don't know i i haven't really played a character like that before so it was it was really exciting. Like I'm still excited about
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> that's so sweet. Um, I was actually going to ask you about some of the kind of mix of scenes. So, I mean, when you're when you're in that booth and you're in front of the mic, trying to perform the kind of character moments, the the quieter moments, how does that kind of differ from when you're doing it, say, on a set when you're doing something that's live action?
4: Oh man, it's so. Obviously, you don't have, like, a scene partner in front of you to, like, be in that emotional bubble space, which I love. Like, I come from the theater. That's my background. Um, So it's – you almost – like, for me, I almost have to endow the mic and the people in the studio as my scene partners, as well as the character that I'm talking to or being with, you know, in that present moment. But it's nice to ground myself in in the space – in the reality of where I am. So sometimes I get just really intimate with the mic I'm on. Like I make fun of myself, you know, that, you know, Neumann and I have a very intimate relationship, Neumann being the mics I usually record off, um, like the brand, (laughs) because, you know, like I think whatever, I guess every actor has their process with it, but for me, it's just really trying to be as physical and tangible as I can in the space. yeah, Because I am that by nature. (laughs) um and my imagination can only go so far so it's nice to just have that there um and then of course the art you know if I can see the art and see at least a snippet yeah um that really helps infuse the imagery and the emotional life um and then of course the same goes on the other side of the spectrum when you're like totally letting her rip emotionally and you're like on level 10 of volume and heightened emotion too so um yeah that's that's kind of how it is for me.
0: I was um, gonna say that must be really fun when it comes, comes to the action scenes. You must be, you must just be able to completely yeah. go for it when it comes to the action.
4: Oh yeah, I mean like that was my, I think that that was my hurdle when I was starting in VO years ago was like, okay, I'm such a physically trained actor, Yeah. but now I have to tone down the body movement so it doesn't bleed <laughs> into the session, <laughs> you know? Like if I'm throwing an air punch, we don't wanna take the microphone out. <laughs> which I've done, which I've done before. (laughs) Like we won't talk about
0: that. That just shows your dedication to the art. That's all that is. (laughs)
4: Yeah. Chuck norris singing it in the booth by accident, (laughs) knocking everything over. That's
0: quite an image. I like that. I like that.
4: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
0: (laughs) So you've obviously, as you mentioned, you've also appeared in Arrow as well. Um, Are there any other DC characters that you'd like to play, be it in animation, live action? million dollar question
4: in a box too much by limiting it like (laughs) yeah i just bring it on like anything like whatever whatever can kind of like titillate the senses and people think that i can bring life to i'm game for so i'm 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 wide open that way i mean i love playing strong characters i also love playing super nerdy characters like i'd love to play a character one day like dexter's laboratory vibes you know (laughs) <laughs> that's um, awesome not really that's not really <laughs> that's not really dc world but
0: <laughs> no I, but i love that reference I love to,
4: <laughs> you know i because I, I you know sometimes sometimes with on camera you don't really get the opportunity to go that way based on whatever your look or whatnot but in the booth it all just goes away so if people if people can hear it and see me do it in their mind's eye then thank you like i'm there let's let's play
0: One thing with her which I think is quite funny is she was in Arrow for an entire season. She's in season four of Arrow, but because of her character and who she was, she never actually interacted with any member of the cast other than Stephen Emile, because she was on Lian Yu. It was the season after he'd been to Tokyo and he'd gone back to the island, and she was running around the island with him. She did meet Constantine, though, I think. Uh, She also at least was in an episode with Constantine. But in terms of actual sort of scenes that you see her in she never interacted with anyone else so she was never on camera with a black canary having been in a show that has several of them any other thoughts on justice society world war ii before i wrap this up for this week
1: no i think it's just a very good film it's a nice way to bring in the gsa and stimulate the g l yep in this new animated universe
0: Certainly widens out the universe a lot. You can read my review of Justice Society World War II now. It's up on the website. My verdict was Justice Society World War II is a wonderful surprise with breathtaking action, complex characters, and a truly unique story. I mean, that's pretty much what I just said. It is pretty much what you just said. As I said, the film is available on digital platforms from today if you are listening to this podcast, and is available on 4K, Ultra HD, Blu-ray Combo Pack, and Blu-ray Minifig Edition on May 11th, 2021. Grab yours now, where all good films are sold. The bonus features include a very special look at the upcoming Batman The Long Halloween Part 1, which stars Jensen Ackles as Batman. It's going to be a very exciting entry into this universe, because it certainly looks from the animation style like it's going to be part of this ongoing universe of stories, which is starting to build through Man of Tomorrow this film, and then Long Halloween. So I think plenty to look forward to in this DC animated universe as it is up and coming. So that's kind of it for this episode. I wanted to make sure we focused on it and gave enough time for you to be able to listen to those interviews. If you're missing our usual little slice of news that we put in this podcast, then head over to our YouTube channel or to Instagram and Twitter where you can catch up on our latest news video. James just hosted the last one that came out over the weekend, there are plenty of stories in there including the first trailer for Marvel Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, the new trailer for Warner Brothers' The Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It, as well as stories on Hawkeye, Superman comics and many many more. Coming up when we're back in a couple of weeks, uh, I've only got one little note on the whiteboard at the moment which is Johnny Mnemonic. The 1995 classic starring Keanu Reeves, precursor to The Matrix. Mm. It's being re-released in a remaster on HD very, very soon here in the UK. And I got a sneaky little look at the new remastered version, which I'm going to be telling you all about. We might have cinemas by the time we get around to recording our next podcast. We will have to wait and see. So until next time, stay safe. Watch Justice Society World War II. You will not regret it. And we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye!